Welcome to Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. We hope you enjoy this message by Daniel Willett. Well, I'm excited about this morning. Uh, it's going to be a great day. Good morning. God woke me up at four in the morning and just started giving me more. I just started having more conversation with him about this message, and I'm excited for what, what he has for us all this morning. So, but first, we have some, some funny picks. Um, let's get our laughers warmed up. Ha, 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 <laughs> How many know laughter is it's good medicine? It's medicine. So we need to laugh, like, through the battle, through the hard moments, right? So how many of you have you ever went to the doctor and the doctor gave you a prescription, and you said, thank you so much, doctor. I'm going to take this as soon as I'm better. <laughs> we don't do that, right? So laughter is your medicine, so we need to laugh in the middle of the battle. Amen? So let's, let's uh, get our laughers warmed up this morning. So go ahead and show the first one. I accidentally wore a red shirt to Target today, and long story short, I'm covering for Debbie this weekend. <laughs> go to the next one. When you're swimming and something touches your foot. <laughs> okay, that was great. Go back, go back, go back, go back, go back. That was me in my entire childhood because I saw Jaws when I was like seven years old. So I, I couldn't even swim in the swimming pool after seeing that movie, Jaws. That's, a, that's the worst movie for little kids to see. Good job, mom and dad. Next picture. I dusted once, it came back. I'm not falling for that again. <laughs> go to the next one. An apple a day keeps anyone away if you throw it hard enough. <laughs> and then uh, last one, my emotional support dog after I tell him all my problems. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. That's a cute dog. Yeah. He overwhelmed your emotional support dog. That's when you know you got a lot of problems. All right. Turn on the house lights. <laughs> so... On a serious note, I want to say this is Colton Back's very last day in the sound booth today. Yeah. So Colton, uh, he's been there for four years, and he's been there uh, probably three of those years when we, he was our only person there, and he's been super-duper faithful. And I just want to say, Colton, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Yeah. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for what you're doing in our midst, what you're doing in this church family. We just thank you that you're taking us deeper and deeper and deeper into the family of God. Deeper and deeper and deeper into the revelation knowledge of the Father. We just thank you, Jesus. God, just open it up a little deeper today. Help us to just go a little deeper in the knowledge of the Father and the knowledge of the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Joy mentioned we went to a, a family conference this past weekend. It was, it was awesome. It was in Pasadena, California. And it was funny. I think we were the only people from out of town. They were in the conference. They were like, you know, I, some of you I know have, have came from all the way across town, like an hour away. <laughs> we're like, we came from six hours away. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, we enjoyed it. Um, I could share the whole morning on, on the conference, just what we learned from that. But that's not for today. Uh, but yeah, we had a great time and, and uh, wanted to say just thanks for holding down the fort. We already said thank you, but thank you, Angela. We appreciate you so much. And thank you for that word, just encouraging word to the body that we so need. 
And uh, thank you for Tina and Diane and all our leaders just for holding down the fort. We, we know when we leave, we just, we have no worry in the world. We just know everything is, is going to be great because we have the best leaders in the world. So I want to give you a testimony. Um, yeah, go ahead. We have the best leaders in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I want to give you a testimony um, because testimonies are important. Um, Testimonies actually release blessing. Amen. We're going to be starting a testimony wall. That whole wall is going to be testimonies. And uh, when we hear a testimony um, and when we meditate on a testimony, it actually starts making us think like God. We start to kind of meditate on like who he is, what he does, and we get more of the mind of Christ. We start to take on his mind as we meditate on testimonies. So testimonies are powerful, and I just wanted to to share this one with you. Um, We have teen teen challenge guys come on Fridays, and they they clean our church on Fridays. And so one of them, there was four of them, and one of them had a sling. He had his arm in a sling. And um, I've never used this verbiage before, but I just, I just asked him, I, I said, like, hey, what happened to your arm? And he's like, oh, I just had rotator cuff surgery. And, and I, I've never used this language before, but it just came out. And I said, well, okay, well, we're going to blast it before you go. It's, it's going to get blasted. And so, you know, they were getting ready to leave. And I said, let me, let me pray for your shoulder. And so I just began to pray, simple prayer of faith. And actually, I just started laughing. I just, sometimes I just, I, I don't know. I just like, the Holy Spirit's like, just laugh. Just laugh over it. And I'm just praying for his shoulder. So I'm laughing and praying. And then I, I feel like pulsing in his shoulder. Like, almost like, like if you can feel someone's pulse. But it's like, it's like, like major pulse. So I was like, wow, I feel something. I was like, can you feel that? And he's like, no, I don't, I don't feel anything. And I was like, I feel something. So I just keep praying. And then he's like, oh, I can feel it now. I, I feel it. And so I finished praying and I was just like, well, you know, try it out, move it around a little bit. And, and he goes, woo, woo, woo. That's all he could say, woo. And I was like, where's the pain? And he goes, the pain's gone. Woo. <laughs> So is there anybody here, I, I just want to, you know, I wouldn't want to give this testimony without um, giving an opportunity. Is there anybody here with shoulder issues, any kind of shoulder issue, small or large? If you have a shoulder issue, please stand up. Anybody at all? Awesome. Amen. God's going to blast it. He's <laughs> getting ready to blast it. Okay. So stretch your hands towards them. Simple prayer of faith right now, Father. Just begin to pray, Father. We just command the shoulders, be healed in Jesus' name. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. It is the Father's good pleasure to heal. It's easy. Healing is easy. So right now, Lord, every shoulder be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Start to move your shoulder. Start to move. Thank you, Jesus. What are you experiencing? Anything? Any difference? A little bit different? Oh, praise God. Warm, warm, more God. Keep praying. What are you guys experiencing? Uh, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Anything? It's okay. Just be honest. Just w- Okay. Well, God, heal the neck too, Jesus. Next, next connected to the shoulders. Close enough. Heal the neck, Jesus. Amen. Amen. What are you feeling? Same? Is it? Okay. Awesome. Well, we're believing for healing for you guys. Amen? So, yeah, that warmth. Man, sometimes I know my back, um, it took, I got healed overnight. 
And like the next day it was better. So amen. Well, just keep believing. We're believing for that. Amen. So God is good. He heals shoulders and it's easy to him. So God just continued to do the work. So I want to speak to you today in Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. And I think, thank you. Appreciate that. Somebody said excellent selection. Exodus 14. So go ahead and turn there this morning. And I think we have it for the screens. Go ahead and put it up. So I want to give you a little context of this scripture. So this is Moses taking the children of Israel out of Egypt. And we know that that story, there was all the plagues that came. And Pharaoh finally says, go, get out of here. And so he dismisses the children of Israel. And they go and they're camped down by the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh has a change of heart. And he says, let's go, let's go get them. We're going to go get our slaves. So that's, that's where we're at. So let's pick it up from there. Verse 9, then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army. That's important. He took everything. He took everything he had. He chased after them with all the horses, all the chariots, all of his horsemen, all of his army. And they overtook them camping by the sea besides Pi-Hahiron in front of Baal-Zephon. So that's important. How many know that God doesn't waste an opportunity to give you some more nuggets when, he, when, he, when you, you have symbols like names and, and cities? He doesn't waste any of those moments. So if you want to do like deeper study when you're reading the words, like study the names of the people that you're reading about. Study like the cities that they're going to. There's like so much in, in all those things. So they were by the sea, beside Pihahiron. I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation. Probably not. Actually, I, I listened to the correct pronunciation, and I said, no. That's, I'm just going to leave that one where it is. In front of Baal Zephon. So Pihahiron, this is the, it's the place, that when you look up the meaning of the word, it's place where the reeds grow. So a reed is an aggressive weed that kills native plants and displaces wildlife. They can get up to 15 feet high, and it's an invasive weed that can cut your skin, and it leaves entire areas uninhabitable. So they're at the Red Sea. They're next to Pihahiron, which is just inhabited with all these weeds, which makes the areas uninhabitable for people. And it says they're in front of, or some translations say they're before, Baal Zephon. So how many know, we know what Baal is, right? If you've read the Bible, Baal's a false god, right? So this is Baal Zephon. This is the Canaanite storm god. So it's almost like saying Satan is before them. It's like they're at the edge of the sea, rocking a hard place over here, and Satan is before them. Now to make matters worse, here come the Egyptians. Here come the Egyptians back to get them. And the Egyptians, this is very important to realize what, Egypt and what the Egyptians represent. The Egyptians represented slavery, the old life, bondage, fear, poverty, lack, false identities. So here comes the old life. Here comes slavery. Back to get them, back to conquer them. 
Verse 10, so let's read on. It says, as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So do you see like that they were in an impossible situation? I mean, they they weren't armed and they weren't warriors, they weren't soldiers. They were just they were just on their way out. And here comes everything Pharaoh's got, everything he's got is coming at them. On this side, there's just uninhabitable land, all these reeds, and it's like Satan is before them. Here comes their captors. So they're in an impossible situation. They needed a miracle. So what does God do? God opens up the sea for the Israelites, and he brings them through on dry ground. He brings them through on dry ground. God did what they could not do. Amen? Let's read verse 13. So this is, they're all freaking out. And this is what Moses says. Moses says to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. This event in history, it's an amazing symbol for salvation. This is, this is a metaphor. This is an amazing symbol for salvation. We could not save ourselves. We were like the Israelites. We were in an impossible situation. We were between a rock and a hard place. Death was master over us. Sin was master over us. Slavery was master over us. And Jesus did what we could not do for ourselves. It's the same thing that happened. They were in an impossible situation. They knew that if, if God didn't do something, they were going to die right there. And they even said, why'd you bring us out here to die, Moses? You brought us here to die. So God, what's the instruction from Moses? Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord while you be silent. Watch what God does while you're silent. In other words, don't do anything. Just watch. Because there's nothing they could do. There's nothing they could do. This, God wanted to show them, I'm going to do 100% of this for you. This is 100% me. There's nothing you can add to it. And even, even Moses says, be silent. There was probably some prayers going up. There was probably like some cries to God. And he's like, nope, be silent. It's not even your prayers that's going to do this. I'm going to do this 100%. 100%. The Lord will fight for, you, fight for you while you keep silent. So this is a symbol for what God did for us through salvation. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. You didn't do it. You couldn't do it. It was a miracle that only God could do for you. Amen. So God opens up the sea for them, and they cross through on dry ground. God did a miracle for them, and when we accepted Jesus. He did a miracle for us. So then the Egyptians come in after them. And remember, it said, Pharaoh sent everything he had. There wasn't, there wasn't, left, there wasn't troops behind. He had everything he had. And in Exodus 14, 28, it says, they all went in after the children of Israel, 
all the enemies, everything that Pharaoh had comes in after them. And this, we know the story, the sea collapses. And if, if Exodus 14, 28 says, not even one of them remained. This is very significant. Everything he had went after him and not even one of them survived. Are you getting, you're making the connection? Fear, slavery, the old life, bondage, poverty, lack, all of it died. All of it died in the water behind them. And that's the same thing that happened to you and I. Slavery, bondage, fear. We sang it this morning. No longer a slave to fear, I'm a child of God. No longer a slave to fear. Fear died in the Red Sea behind you when you said yes to Jesus. That's why Romans 6.11 says, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Do you consider yourself dead to sin? He didn't say you wouldn't sin. He said, consider yourselves dead to sin. Why? Because sin died in the Red Sea behind you. This is why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The old things died in the Red Sea behind you. Romans 8.15, for you have not received a spirit of slavery. Slavery died in the water behind you. You've not received a spirit of slavery, which leads to fear again. By the way, if you think you're a slave, if you think you're a slave to God, you'll fear God in an unhealthy way. But he said, when you have a spirit of slavery, it leads to fear. Slavery actually died in the water behind you. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Adoption is what they stepped into out of the orphan mindset, out of poverty and into adoption by God. I am a child of God. So God accomplished everything for the Israelites. He did it. He accomplished it. He said, don't even pray, just, just watch. Okay, because I'm going to do this 100%. And I want you to remember that, that I did this and you could not do it. And you didn't add anything to it. So God accomplished everything for him. But here's the problem. After Israel was taken out of slavery, God had to take slavery out of them. After Israel was taken out of slavery, God had to start this work that's going to take slavery out of their hearts, out of their minds. Because mentally, you took the slave out of Egypt, but the slavery was still in their hearts and in their minds. The truth was that they were free, but mentally they were still in bondage. So God had to take them out of a slavery and a poverty mindset. So we've been delivered. We've been taken out of fear. We've been taken out of slavery. We've been taken out of sin. We've been taken out of poverty mindsets. But now God wants to take those things out of us because we can't inherit the promised land until he does. This is, this is the story. This is why that story is there. It's, it's a real story. But God wanted that story to be there so that we would see this clear picture. It's like, I've done everything for you. Your, your tormentors, fear, the old way, slavery life is all taken care of. It's all taken care of. But now you're in a process of getting those things out of your heart. So God has amazing things in store for us. But first, he has to set us free mentally so that we can, can inherit our promised land. 
So there's, there's so many things that we, there's so many places that we could go from here, but today I want to specifically dial in on, on one area. I want to talk to you about coming out of the poverty mindset. Coming out of the poverty mindset. I actually changed the name of this message at the last minute, and I'm calling it Breaking the Poverty and Consuming Spirit. Breaking the Poverty and Consuming Spirit. So God's taken us out of poverty. We are royalty. Amen? Amen? We are royalty now. But now he wants to take poverty out of us. He wants to take poverty thinking out of us. He wants us to get our thinking aligned with what he's accomplished on the cross. Amen? So now we're in this process of getting our thinking redirected, corrected, taking on the mind of Christ and actually having a royalty mindset, not this slavery poverty mindset. So God's taking us into a royalty mindset, a sonship mindset, so that we can inherit our promised land. So how, how many know who uh, or what Kerrygold butter is? Anybody know what Kerrygold butter is? Wow, few. That, is that it, really? It's about five of us. Okay, so I'm giving you, uh, this is, we're right before Thanksgiving. I'm giving you guys an amazing, an amazing gift, okay? For Thanksgiving, get yourself some Kerrygold butter, okay? I call it God's butter. It's the best butter on the planet, okay? This is butter from grass-fed cows, and it's this Irish butter from grass-fed cows. And it's like the most delicious butter. And when you even see it, when you compare it with like the butter we have, it's like the butter that we use and that we get at the grocery store, it's like white compared to this. This is like yellow, dark yellow, real butter. And it's absolutely delicious. So Kerrygold butter, it's God's butter. And I used to have, I, I believe that, we're going to be at the feast, the banquet feast at the end of times, and it's going to be Kerrygold butter there, okay? <laughs> Kerrygold butter for everybody. So I used to say this thing to my wife, and um, I went to say it the other day, and as soon as it came out of my mouth, I said, whoa. So let me tell you what I said. So I used to say this, and it's kind of half joking, but there's some truth there. So I used to say this because we would buy it from time to time. It's about two and a half times expensive as normal butter. So we didn't buy it all the time. We would get it, you know, for special occasions. And, and uh, I used to put it in my coffee a little bit. That's another story. won't go into that. <laughs> and uh, seriously, blend it. You blend it with your coffee. You know, you've heard of it, right? Yeah? Yeah. All right. Good. Um, so I used to say this thing to Joy, and I was, again, I was half joking, but there's some truth to it. I said, I would say this to Joy, I'd say, I'll know that we're rich when we can get exclusively Kerrygold butter. <laughs> and the last time I said, what? <laughs> Dream big. <laughs> and the last time I said it, I was like, wow, that's the poverty-consuming mindset. Because the poverty-consuming mindset says, I'll be rich, I'll be successful, I'll be happy based on what I can consume. I'm going to base richness on if I can consume the things that I want to consume, and I can consume enough of the things that I want to consume, then I'll be rich. There's a Hollywood actor that, I'm not going to say his name, but if I said his name, everybody in the place would probably know who he is. But in a recent interview, the interviewer said to him, um, it's been said that you spend $30,000 a month on wine. And he starts laughing. He goes, oh, no, it's far more than that. Why would anybody spend over $30,000 on wine? Because you can. Because you have that money. 
And it's this consuming mindset of like, I have more money, so I have to consume more. I can afford that because I have a lot of money. It's, it's this consuming mindset of like, I'm successful when I consume a lot. And if I have a lot of money, so by the way, the poverty mindset is not relegated to people who don't have money. There's people who are millionaires who have the poverty mindset. And this is the poverty mindset of like, I'm going to use the money that I have to consume a lot. This is the poverty consuming mindset. So the consuming mindset, it's a poverty mindset. And it says, I will consume all that I have. Another word for consuming spirit would be like devouring spirit. So Proverbs 21, 20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil and Kerrygold butter. <laughs> but a foolish man devours all that he has. This is the poverty-devouring, consuming mindset. I'm going to devour all that I have. And if you have it as a family, and my wife and I, we've been there. There's no judgment on any of this. It's just we have to understand what God's taking us out of. So a family that when you have this consuming mindset, if you as a family make $60,000 a year, you'll consume all of it every year. If you, make, if you get a raise and you make $80,000, you will consume $80,000 worth a year. It doesn't matter the amount. If you make $150,000, you will consume $150,000 a year. I remember we had years where we made lots of money in real estate. And, and after those two years, because this was years ago, and we, we had that consuming mindset. And it was like after these two years of making all this money, we're like, where'd the money go? It was like, it just left. It just left. Because we had this consuming mindset. When you have this consuming poverty mindset, it's like it's never enough. Like what you make is never enough because it's always consumed. So there's a story in Numbers 11 that illustrates the mindset that the Israelites had at the time. This is while they're in the wilderness. And did you know this? One of their main complaints against God was about food. This was a reoccurring complaint. It was, it was about food. They're complaining, we don't have the food that we want. And by the way, this is so in this story, they, were, they already had manna. And by the way, manna was like the perfect food. It gave them everything that they needed nutrient-wise. And they were, none, nobody got sick. They had the perfect foods. And they were complaining and saying, we don't have the foods that we want. We had better foods in Egypt. Why can't we go back to where we had the foods that we like? This is the consuming mindset. I'm successful based on if I can consume what I want to consume. They had what they needed, but they wanted to consume more. So Numbers 11, I'm going to read that this morning. Numbers 11, we're going to start in 18. So this, they went to Moses. The context here is they went to Moses and said, Moses, we're sick of manna. Give us some meat. So God told Moses, verse 18, tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow where you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed, if we only had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. And you will not eat it for just one day, or just two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Because you've rejected the Lord who is among you, and you have wailed before him, saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Why would God say this? He made a prediction, a prophecy. He said, I'm going to give you what you want. And it's going to be coming out your noses. 
Why would he do that? Did he give them bad meat? He gave them manna, which was the perfect food. So I submit to you that the, the meat that he gave to them was like filet mignon. It was like awesome, perfect food. He didn't give them bad meat to teach them a lesson. So why did he predict that they're going to be vomiting it out their nose? Because he knew they had the consuming spirit. He knew they were going to gorge themselves. He knew they weren't just going to enjoy this. They were going to gorge themselves so much so that they're going to be vomiting it up. This is the poverty spirit, the consuming mindset. The lie at the core of the consuming mindset is this. God's not going to provide for me. God's not going to provide for me, so I have to consume as much as I have while I have it because I may not have it tomorrow. That's why they gorged themselves and they were actually vomiting it. So God had taken them out of Egypt, but now he had to get Egypt out of them. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So anything, anything that you have in your life that's a behavior, it's tied to a belief. So if you have bad behaviors, you know, we're, we're trying to get away from the theology of just trying to fix your behaviors. Like, stop that. The, the, the stop that theology. Don't do that. Stop that. Change your behavior. Because it doesn't work. But your behavior is actually tied to a belief. So if you want to change a bad behavior, you need to find out what belief it's tied to and change your belief. This is the renewing of the mind. It doesn't say don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. It doesn't say be transformed by trying harder. It says be transformed by changing what you believe. Renew your mind. That's how you'll actually see transformation. So the renewing of your mind is the process of God taking you out of Egypt mentally. He's taking you out physically. He's done all the hard lifting. But the renewing of the mind is the process of God getting Egypt out of us. God getting lack, poverty, sin mindset, sin-focused mindset out of us. By the way, the poverty spirit is not a demonic spirit that you have to cast out. That'd be great because then we could just cast it out of everybody and we'd all think differently about money all of a sudden. We'd be like, wow, I'm good now. The poverty spirit is more about aligning your thinking with a mindset that allows the devourer to have access to you. This is why when we made all this money in real estate, I was like, where did it all go? Because we had a mindset that allowed the devourer to just take, take, take. So the pattern of this world, by the way, everything I'm saying today is very countercultural. You're not going to see this unless you go like look up Dave Ramsey or, you know... <laughs> The pattern of this world and the pattern of our culture is a poverty and consuming mindset. Our culture says, live up to your means and consume all that you have. In fact, our culture says, don't just consume all that you have. Go out and get in debt, get a credit card and consume more than you have. Don't just consume what you have. Consume more than you, than you have and then pay for it later. This is the culture that we're inundated with. What's, what's in your wallet? Got my credit card. Right? This is the devouring poverty mindset that causes us to live as slaves to the lender. The Bible says the borrower is a slave. What's God trying to get us out of? Slavery. 
slavery mindset. In our culture today, we see this a lot, and we probably did this a little bit in our 20s. You'll see people who just get married, brand new marrieds, and they instantly want to create the lifestyle that their parents have that they've spent 20 and 30 years building. And they'll usually do it by borrowing money. And they're like, well, we got to consume. We got to look, you know, we got to have stuff. It's this consuming mindset. Don't save for it. It's nothing wrong with having nice stuff. We should all have nice stuff. I think I believe that wholeheartedly. But we, we want to save for what we're going to have, the things that we're going to have. God doesn't want us to go into debt and become slaves to the lender. Amen? The poverty mindset says, get what you want now. Don't save. Get it now. Pay for it later. This is the poverty-consuming mindset. A poverty mindset is not about being lazy. It has nothing to do with being lazy. In fact, there's a lot of really hardworking people that have poverty mindsets. It's not about being lazy. It's not, it's not about intelligence. There's some really brilliant people with a poverty mindset. In fact, if you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I highly recommend... His, his poor dad was actually highly educated, and he was a good earner. He made good money. But he had this poverty and consuming mindset, and he said, my father died with just nothing but debt for us. Amen? A righteous man, what, what the Bible says is a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. This is, this is what God is calling us to, leaving that poverty mindset, and we're going to actually have an inheritance to give to our children's children. So God wants to get you into your promised land, but before he can do that, he has to get poverty out of your heart. Joy did such an amazing job. I'm like the hugest fan of my wife when it comes to like preaching. And, that, and that's the truth. I tell her behind closed doors, I'm like, you're, you're one of my favorite speakers of all time. It's the absolute truth. And she did an amazing job two weeks ago. And... Um, so I want to touch on some of those things uh, that she talked about briefly and talk about how specifically they relate to overcoming the poverty spirit. She talked about the plan. Like, what's the plan? Like, okay, we've identified the problem. What's God's way? What's the plan? So I want to talk about some of those again and just review those and talk about how they relate to breaking the poverty spirit. So what's the plan? How do we get on the path to health in our thinking about money? How do we start to think like God when it comes to money? So this was the, the plan that she laid out. Number one is first fruits. Give your first fruits to, go, to God. This is really powerful. The second that you determine in your heart to give your first fruits to God, the poverty spirit starts to break. Not when the money hits the bottom of the basket. This isn't a magic formula. The second your it's a heart thing. The second your heart says, I'm going to give my first fruits to God. The second you do that, you start to break the poverty spirit. The poverty spirit says, I'm going to consume all that I have. I'm going to consume all that I have. The second that you say, God, I'm going to give you my first fruits and trust you, you're now breaking that poverty spirit of, I'm going to consume all that I have. Do you see how that's breaking that? I will not. When you give your first fruits to God, you're saying, I will not consume all that I have, but I will trust God for all that I need. And it starts to break the poverty and consuming spirit. Number two, she talked about budget. She said, number one, first fruits, 
Number two, budget. Now, budget is just being a good steward of the money that God has given you. You want a great short definition for budget? A budget is a plan for your money. That's all it is. A budget's a, a vision for where your money's going to go. It's a plan, having a plan. I don't know why I didn't get it earlier in my life because we, we didn't have a budget for a long time. But now when I say it, I'm like, having a plan for your money sounds like a really good idea. Like, why, didn't we, why didn't we do this earlier? But we've had a budget for several years now. And budget is being a good steward of the money that God has given you. And it's a plan for your money. Proverbs 29:18 says this, where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint. So there's no plan. It's just a free-for-all. You could say it like this. Where there's no budget, there's no plan for where your money's going, it's just a free-for-all, no restraint. It's like, well, I'll give to this. Uh, I'm going to pay this bill. I'm going to pay that bill. I'm going to buy this. And oh, the money's gone. I have to wait for the next paycheck, and maybe I can pay this bill or that thing. There's no plan. It's just a free-for-all. And, and when you're aligned with this, you'll see the consuming spirit, and you'll be like, where did the money go? Like, I just got paid. Why is it all gone? Been there. So when you have a vision for where your money is going to go, it starts to break the poverty and consuming spirit. And you start to become powerful over your money. So when you have a budget, you're saying this, I'm going to have a plan for where my money's going. I'm not just going to consume it moment to moment with no plan. I'm going to have a plan for where my money's going to go. And by the way, if a budget sounds scary, because it did to us, we, we never, like, we didn't grow up in a household where they showed us this is how you do a budget. And that's, by the way, if, if you're someone that's like a Ken Bach who's just, like, amazing at budgeting, that's a great inheritance to pass to your children, like, to show them how to do this. This is real. This is real, okay? <laughs> we didn't know how to do it, and we were, we were afraid of it, frankly. And so if that sounds scary to you, I, I get it, but sign up for the Dave Ramsey course. We're going to do it in... in January, I think. Yeah, Neil and uh, Dakota Young are going to facilitate it and lead it. And so we, haven't, we don't have all the details worked out, but it's coming. So that's actually what taught us how to budget. That's, I mean, he rocks when it comes to that. Getting out of debt and do your budget. He's amazing when it comes to those things. So she talked about, number one, first fruits, it starts to break the poverty spirit. Number two, budget. This is breaking the poverty spirit as you decide, I'm not just going to consume, I'm going to have a plan. I'm going to have a plan. Number three, she talked about an emergency fund. Again, a foolish man consumes all that he has, but a wise man sets some money aside. Have an emergency fund. When you do that, when you set some money aside, by the way, a credit card is not a good emergency fund. You don't want to pay back your emergency with interest. Set money aside. Have an emergency fund. When you do this, just I'm telling you, this is spiritual principles. When you just start to do these things and you set money aside and say, okay, this is for a rainy day emergency, it's breaking that consuming mindset because you're saying, I'm not going to consume all that I have. I'm going to store some up for emergencies. This breaks that consuming poverty mindset. Number four was get out of debt. And I have a vision for a debt-free church. Okay, and I'm not talking about Awakened Life. Awakened Life Church has no debt already. I'm talking about the people in Awakened Life. I have a vision for a debt-free church. I have a vision, and I, have, um, I, I believe that we're going to see people that are getting debt cancellation miracles like my wife and I did. I believe that. 
Go after that. And I'm telling you, as you do these things, as you partner with God, he will radically partner with you. And you will see those things start to die in your life. Get out of debt. was number four. Proverbs 22.7. The rich rules over the poor. And the borrower becomes the lender's slave. We have that verse? What's the last word in that verse? It's exactly what God's trying to take us out of. Slavery. Debt. That's what God's freeing us from. That's why God will partner with you in setting you free from debt. He, he wants you out of that. He doesn't want you slave to the lender. He's, he's actually spiritually set you free, and he wants you to be physically set free and out of debt. When you determine to get out of debt, you're breaking free of the poverty spirit, and God will partner with you. You're breaking free. You're saying, I'm not going to consume all that I have. I'm going to set some money I, I have aside and radically go after debt. It's breaking that poverty-consuming mindset. And number five, she talked about investing and building wealth. This is the next step. After getting out of debt, God wants you to invest and build wealth. Proverbs 13, 22, I've already talked about it. But a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. In order to leave an inheritance for your children's children, you have to leave the poverty and consuming mindset behind. Because as long as you're consuming everything you have, you'll never be able to leave an inheritance for your children's children. And I'm telling you, this is a spiritual principle. Like when, when we decided, we decided some time ago, okay, we're going to give 10% and we're going to save 10%. We're going to live on 80%. And when we first did it, the math didn't make sense. And miraculously, we're living on 80% now on a pastor's salary. There's something spiritual that happens when you do this stuff. God partners with you. God partners with you. It's a spiritual principle. And I didn't even think, I thought maybe that's years down the road, but we just, we just said, let's, let's do this. Let's make it happen. And we did cut some things back, but it's like God partnered with us. And I'm like, wow, we're living on 80%. This is incredible. And we wanted to start saving money because we want to invest money. We want to have a plan. We want to have an inheritance for our children's children. You can't do that if you're consuming everything that you have. Investing is believing in tomorrow. It's kind of like faith, right? Faith is I'm believing for something that I can't see yet. I'm believing for something in the future that I can't see yet. This is investing. I'm believing for a good tomorrow. I'm believing for my money to grow. I never saw it in the word until recently when I read the story of the talents. What's the story? Master, which represents God, gives one servant five talents. He gives one three, and he gives one one. He comes back. The guy that had one in fear buried it, and he just gives him back his one. He says, you wicked and lazy servant. And what did he say? This is really interesting. I never caught this. He goes, you should have at least put it in the bank. You should have at least put it in the bank so I could get my money back with interest. What is he talking about? Investing. You should have at least invested it where I'd get my money back with some interest. It's called investing. What did the ones, the two other servants that were given five and three, they actually doubled the money. He says, well done, you good and faithful servant. 
God expects, I never saw this before, he expects that the money that he gives us, we're actually going to use it to create more money. Right there in the word. Right there in the word. Plain as can be. This is investing. It's called investing. Using the money that he gives us to create more money. It's called investing. Investing is taking what God has given us and multiplying it. So God wants to take us into the promised land. But we need to change our thinking to get there. We need to start thinking like Joshua and Caleb. If you don't remember the story, Joshua and Caleb were two of the 12 spies that Moses sent into the promised land to scout it out. And so they had... By the way, the Bible says, it's really interesting. All the little details in the Bible are so fascinating to me. It says that there were 12 leaders. He sent 12 leaders. And we know the story. 10 of them came back and said, we can't do it. This is hopeless. There's giants in the land. We can't do it. And they brought this negative report. By the way, leadership is influence. That's all it is. So they brought this negative report back and everybody starts to weep and wail. They had this influence over the people with this negative report had this powerful influence. You can lead people and the definition of leadership is influence. So you can, you can do that negatively or positively. You can influence people negatively and be a great leader. I mean, according to that definition that you're, influ- you're able to influence. So Joshua and Caleb come back and they're like, Actually, Joshua is the one, or Caleb is the one that spoke up first before the negative report. And he goes, oh, we should surely go in and possess the land. It's, it's ripe for the picking. The reports are right. Milk and honey flowing. We should surely go in and possess the land. And then the negative reports come and everybody starts to wail, right? How could you get two more opposite reports? Like one's excited or like, let's go in and possess the land. And the other one's like, we can't do it. And again, you hear the same kind of grumblings. Why did you bring us out here, Moses? Why'd you bring us out here to die? We were better off in slavery. What made Joshua and Caleb different? By the way, they were the only two that inhabited the promised land of those 12. The other 10 never made it in. What made them different? It's one simple ingredient. It's the same thing that makes a great leader. They thought like God. They thought like God. They saw things from God's perspective. This is what it means to come out of the consuming and slavery mindset. It's to start to align your thinking like God and just believe God. Like in order to tithe, you have to believe God. Because I have to believe I'm much better off with less money on paper than I am with all my money because I'm obeying God and and I'm following what he's telling me to do. They believed God. They thought like God. They didn't have the poverty-consuming mindset. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to just pray over you this morning. And one of the most powerful things you can do, one of the most powerful prayers is to ask God for his mind and his heart. God, I need your mind when it comes to my finances. God, I need, I need to think like you do when it comes to my marriage. God, I need to see your perspective. I need your mind in this work situation. You know, it's what Solomon asked for. 
He said, God, I need your mind to rule this people. He said, God, I, I need your wisdom to rule these people. And what did God give him? He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you what you asked for, but I'm also going to give you riches and wealth. You're going to be the richest king who's ever lived. So there goes our Christian theory of uh, God doesn't want us to be wealthy. <laughs> when Abraham was wealthy, Solomon was wealthy, and David was wealthy. It's part of the blessing of the Lord, but we have to start to think like him. Amen. I'm just going to pray over you. Father, we want to think like you. We want to have your perspective when it comes to finances. We want to leave the poverty and consuming mindset behind. Father God, we just pray that you're renewing our mind in this area and that you're breaking strongholds. You're breaking the lies of the poverty spirit that we've believed or the, the consuming spirit that we've grabbed onto. We want to think like you. Amen. And I just want to say this to you. God is for you. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to see things from his perspective and prosper. So Father, we just thank you, God, that you have this inheritance for us to leave behind the thinking of Egypt and to step into a new thinking that takes us into our promised land. We know that you want that for each person here. You want us to step into radical blessing. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to say to you one, one more thing, and I want to bring joy up to close us out. The giants that you conquer in this area are an inheritance for your generations to come. The giants that you conquer here are an inheritance for your children and your children's children. Amen. Pastor George, come on.